shapeshifters hope that you enjoyed this rare and infamous moment that combines a first-rate disaster with genuine historical significance. But now it's time to take a deep breath and get those cameras out as we prepare to temporally reset you to one of the most fantastic catastrophes in history. Are you ready? Everyone and welcome to the Time Shifters podcast, and I am very excited because my awesome co-host Tom is here in studio. Hooray! Yes, welcome I, back. It's been forever since you've been like actually we've been in the same room together to record. I know, but you know we. Uh, I'm just going to throw it out there. Uh, we've got another time coming up very soon. Oh, sooner than we than I really imagine. It's, yeah, the, the Comic Expo is coming up here. It soon. is. Yeah, so we're going to have to start planning that little adventure. But yes, uh, it's God. It's got to been about a year since we did an in person. Yeah, no, that that wasn't at the convention. Anyway. Yeah, that wasn't at the convention. <laughs> right. Yeah, I'm. I'm it's going to be interesting. Hopefully, the whole uh, the SAG actors, writers, all that stuff gets hammered out by then because there's a lot of uh, celebrities that aren't doing conventions because of the terms of the strike. Right, yeah, no, and certainly not if they have properties that are out because they won't do press junkets or anything like that. So that it'll be interesting. I'd like to I'd like to see them work it out anyways and Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, and I I got in their favor. In their fa- absolutely in their favor. Any of the stuff that I've reviewed, there's some really some Kind of shady stuff that's out there. I, 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 I've heard as much as like Netflix had uh, something built in that where essentially you as an actor, if we've captured you on screen at some point and we've paid you for that work, we can use your image and voice and likeness to our heart's content later and not have to pay you. Yeah. And like, where do you get off on that? <laughs> yeah, I, I heard things about paying extras for a day. Right. And then thanks, you can go home. And then using they just digitally reproduce them somewhere else whenever they need them, right? right. And like, what what would be the incentive? Just then to invent people digitally, because why would I want to even show up for the day? You'll you'll start uh, just like you always watch a movie and you you catch the Wilhelm scream. You're going to get like the Wilhelm extra, you know, in all these films that you're going to see that guy with that one particular unique T-shirt or something. Well, and, and, and what's worse is, you know, that uh, for, and I'm going to use the example of the current Indiana Jones film that is out. Um, in order to do some of the film, uh, there's a good first, like, 15, 20 minutes of the film. It's all supposed to take place when he's younger. Mm-hmm. Well, Harrison Ford's involved in the project and therefore probably um, added voice content and then, of course, gave his permission for them to reproduce his likeness in, in a digital format that then allowed for them to de-age him. You know, for someone like him, they built that in. Um, well, if you're not a Harrison Ford with that kind of leverage and his history in filmmaking, if you are that extra, you got no leg to stand on. And if at some point they decide you're pretty enough um, and maybe we can make feature films with your likeness, but not involve you or paying you. That just that's just going to be wrong. And and, it's exactly. It, there's a lot of people that would say that. Oh, that's just science fiction. That's not going to happen. I'm like, no. That's actually where this is headed. No, and it's 
by design the whole AI content generators mm-hmm. that are out there. I mean, you can make a, you can tell an AI system to make a movie for you right now. It'll do it, and right. it'll pull from whatever it can pull from, whatever. So that yeah, if you're going to just be digitized and said carry on with your life we don't owe you anything else that's not gonna work no so hopefully they can finally kind of hammer out and uh, get some rules that set down to this you know new world in which we are you know it, uh, approaching yes and uh and yeah and i know i mean the expo is not until late september so we've got like a, a month and a half uh, almost two months before but i mean this could drag on you, you don't know and the whole idea is that the celebs aren't allowed to actually promote anything they've worked on right. under the current rules yeah. or under the, the, the current contracts that they've worked under or whatever. So sure. they can go to conventions, but then they can't talk about anything they've done. Right. They can talk about the process. They can talk about, oh, and then we, we all went out to eat or whatever. And I'm thinking the Q&As are just going to be a whole lot of no comment. No comment, because the people all lining up aren't going to be lining up to try to ask them about, how do you approach a character? They're going to have a few of those, but there's going to be a long line of people that want to know about this particular character or this story, and the the actors aren't going to be able to talk about it. Actually kind of makes me wonder, uh, and I really don't know, does that mean they're not allowed to talk about past content that would have been prior to this? As I understand it, yes. Oh Anything my. that was created okay. under the contract that is currently being struck against, sure. they're not allowed to promote or talk about. And they're yeah. not allowed to, like, they can't sell their own pictures of them in, their, in that character or whatever. If you, if you bring it, right. that's cool. Right. And they'll sign sure, it. Sure, sure. But they can't, they can't sell it. Right. So they can just have all their little, uh, what do you call it, their, their resume photo. You know, whatever, <laughs> yeah, you know. the headshots. They can have their headshots and sell that, but they can't sell anything of them in character. Interesting, yeah. So this could go a lot of different ways for a while now, which is interesting with, uh, I mean, it, as we're recording this, it is San Diego Comic-Con right now. Yeah, which a lot of studios had already decided not to go to the San Diego. Yeah. And now the celebs aren't going to San Diego. So suddenly there's a lot of tables that are like, hey, we got room for comics. Look, the San Diego Comic-Con is a Comic-Con again. <laughs> <laughs> there is that. Uh, interestingly enough, though, uh, oh, and uh, Felicia Day um, is at San Diego Comic-Con. She is still posting content, but because a good hunk of her career also still lives in, like, the gaming world, mm-hmm. I think that's the only conversations and photos she is taking well, and is she's related to she's creating that. her own content. Right. Uh, she's probably it's probably not like SAG related content, right? No, but so that, if yeah, they're, if they're doing their own personal web series and they want to go to the conventions and talk about that, gloves are off. Well, yeah. So, uh, Will Wheaton, you can go out there and do all sorts of stuff. Yeah, <laughs> just yeah. related to anything other than what? Yeah, show, I'm just shows or just probably not going to talk about Star Trek. Yep, just <laughs> the single most reason you, most people have you come to a convention, right? But you know, no Star Trek, no Big Bang Theory appearances. No, no. Uh, oh, that's true. Yeah, I wrote a book. I did a <laughs> podcast. You want to talk about that? I'll talk about that. <laughs> well, you know what? I actually kind of like that some of that content anyway. So 
Yeah. Well, I tell you what, this is going to be a great time. If there's no uh, movies getting made and or anything, great time to go check out some independent film. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's out there. It's, it's not under these contracts. It's not under no. SAG, man. Go, go seek this stuff out. Oh yeah, no that now's a great time for it, that. It may be all you're going to find here soon because the movies aren't being made now. That means when come next this time next year in the summer when all these, you know, it's all going to delay this stuff. Well, interestingly enough and I heard this uh through uh, some NPR reporting on the current uh situation, um w- be prepared for this to drag out for a little while because a lot of uh the content owners, uh, your your Netflix, your movie studios, and all that. Um, well, either way, it's an expensive process uh, um, creating any of this content. And so right now, even though, yes, they don't have new content immediately on the horizon, they kind of get the price break for not having to make it in the first place. So at least for a number of months... This is to their benefit. So, Interesting. Yeah. It's just a matter of how much, how long can they sustain that before even then you start seeing people go, uh, you know what? Maybe I will read a book. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not. Hang on. <laughs> Sports. Maybe I'll go outside. <laughs> You're just talking crazy. Talk. I know. I, I I wouldn't be dare dare to be seen outside. My God. <laughs> well, not uh, any films coming up or anything, but I've I've gone back and watched some older stuff uh, because that's what I do. That is what you do. <laughs> I came across this one. I think I just found it on. Um, gosh, I don't even remember where I stumbled across it. it. Must have been on Prime or something like that. It was called The Laughing Dead. The Laughing Dead from 1989. I was like, "All right, 1980s horror kind of thing." This sounds. I'm that's. I'm just in that mood. You know, let's check this thing out or whatever. It actually ended up really frustrating me. Yeah, <laughs> because let me read you the synopsis. It's a pretty lengthy synopsis, but it was real. It was written by uh, Fiona Kelligan on IMDb. Okay, okay. And she wrote this really great synopsis. That I, it, it goes through everything. Uh huh. So. Zombies, demons, and a mad doctor await a busload of folks looking for a tour of Aztec ruins. Father O'Sullivan is a Catholic priest who has lost his faith in God and who cannot forget the nun with whom he once had an affair and a son. (laughs) Okay. O'Sullivan serves as a tour guide for an archaeological student, uh, for an archaeological student. Uh, Along also on the trip is New Agers Wilbur and Clarice, Clarice Lemming, Runaway Lori and tourists Dozo and Frost on a bus trip to Mexico. No one is more surprised than O'Sullivan when his love, Tessa, also boards the bus with her bratty son, Ivan. Meanwhile, an evil Dr. Umzek is planning effectively an incarnation to bring about the Death God, and what he needs to accomplish this is the hearts of sacrificial children. Lots and lots of hearts. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> While Fowler O'Sullivan grapples with the emotions of seeing Tessa again, he is approached by Dr. Umzek to perform an exorcism. But Umzek has deceived him, and O'Sullivan is thereafter occasionally possessed by the death god himself. Fighting the possession, O'Sullivan tries to rescue Ivan, who is regarded as a perfect sacrificial victim. Now, Tessa, uh, 
Cal, Lori, and the bickering lemons must pull together to stop Dr. Umzek and O'Sullivan from completing the ritual. That's all in this film. Okay? <laughs> yeah. It sounds like it'd be just like insane and crazy. Yeah. It's pretty boring. Really? Yeah. Uh, you wouldn't recognize any of the actors in it. It really actually feels like, as far as the actors go, like independent film actors kind of thing. Yeah. But what's crazy is there's actual like budget that went into this. I'm watching. There's like effects and there's sets and there's, you know. Uh, what year is this thing from? 89. 89. And, and so it's all, there's a lot of practical effects. And then there's like, at the time, the best you can do is animated, you know, swirly magic kind of stuff and everything. Money went into this. Yeah. But the story and the acting are just awful. And it's like, (laughs) why can't I have both? (laughs) That was a lot. (laughs) That that description. So I don't know how you get that anyway. (laughs) But yeah, a lot of money, no no time to actually make a worthwhile movie. Yeah, it's so strange. And you just end up, you're shaking your head through the whole film. Oh, the Laughing Dead title comes away because it happens they're visiting Mexico during the uh, the, the festival of oh, the Laughing okay, Dead. Okay. That's where the title comes from. It it took me a while. You know, it takes a while to actually get there. <laughs> now I could tell you of something that that trips off a, a, a conversation. Now I have not dug into this yet. My friend Stacia told me that there is going to be a movie from the makers of Sharknado called. Zombie Tsunami. Of course there is. <laughs> Apparently there might even be a little teaser trailer out there somewhere. And I think uh, at least she mentioned at the time uh, uh, Ian Zeering will be in it. <laughs> so, of course he is. Of course he is. So that will also not have any story. <laughs> and it'll have crap effects. But mm. It sounds at least just from the title, it were, bears checking out. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Now with uh, with the Laughing Dead, I, I actually found myself. You know, I wish it didn't have the effects <laughs> and the sets. Right. I wish all that was crappy to go along with everything else. That way, you could just enjoy it being a bad film. Yeah. No, it's just it's really surprising. I was like, okay, someone actually put hard earned money into this, but they all put it into this bucket. <laughs> And didn't spend any on the cast. And why would you? Yeah. <laughs> it's all it's all about the effects. Well, it was 1989 too, so uh, yeah. Lots of people have poured lots of money into that area, and then oh yeah, that's right. We should have dialogue that makes sense, or maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so that was a, a little bit of a disappointment. Uh, I've got a lot of unfortunately some disappointments this this week. Um, Watched an anthology film called Tales from the Apocalypse. Oh, yeah. I saw that you saw that one. And it starts out really strong. Like, that first story, I'm like, all right. Yeah. You know, this is pretty good. And then it's just a steady decline. <laughs> so by the time you get to the end, you're like, eh. I don't care. <laughs> yeah. Go back and watch the first 20 minutes and then just turn it off. <laughs> so a little like that space anthology thing where it was like, there were like two decent out of it and the rest were garbage. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. There's a few in this that I feel like might have been good had they like almost they, they needed to be a little longer to yeah. try to sort of explain what it was you were trying to convey because I don't think they quite did it. Oh, that 
That actually reminds me, I had my first moment ever where I have not finished a film. Really? Oh, goodness. And I, and, what and was listeners, this film? Yeah, listeners, if you, you, you are hearing this, I never do that. Usually, no matter how bad something is, I'll at least put it through the end. But uh, this was the current, uh, what is it, Anna Damaris and Chris... Uh, Captain America. Is that Chris Evans? That's not Chris Evans. No, that's not Chris Evans. No. I, I, but we know what yeah, you're yeah, talking yeah. about. Anyway, Captain America is in this. Uh, and it's called Ghosted. It was an Apple TV movie. And the, the notion is she's the spy, and he's just the ordinary schlub uh, in this town. And uh, he connects with her, and... I'm not even going to be able to tell you anything more about it because I have never seen so little chemistry (laughs) ever between two people. They're supposed to be having in this budding romance and you're like, he is completely off-putting. She looks like she could fall asleep at any moment during any of their dialogue. Um, and then ultimately you take somebody that like uh, Chris and you... It is Evans, by the way. Yeah. Okay, see, I was right. You're right. I hedged. Uh, so you take Chris Evans, who even on his worst day is better looking than most of the planet. And for him to be the this anxiety-ridden... Um, hard up guy who always tries too hard with the girl. I'm like, I get that he's playing a part, but there's no way that you look at that guy and go, you know, yeah, he totally has a hard time getting yeah women to go out <laughs> with him. I see why that that he would be having this kind of trouble. And yeah, so it made no sense. I've also never seen uh, this. The movie sounded one of the things that was off putting about it is the music. It's like somebody randomly grabbed their iPod from 10 years ago and set it on random and let it play music during the movie because there was there, move, the music didn't match the mood of what was happening at any given uh-huh. time. And I'm like, I didn't make it 20 minutes into this thing and oh, I turned it off. And I, wow. th- and, and I asked to see it. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm like... <laughs> Ugh. So, uh, anyone has any comments on, on that or have uh, similar opinions? Love to see it. I um, oh, I I did uh, receive my Blu-ray for Robot Monster. Yes, you you had a little drama during that. Yeah, the the had thing to talk you down a little bit. The thing <laughs> would not play. I couldn't get it to load in my player, and then I I ejected it and everything and it sent you the old school like region five from it's supposed to be region Mongolia. three maybe that's what right. was freaking it out but I, on a whim i put it back in and it loaded up fine like there was no issue so sat down and and watched yeah, it and, and then you watched a movie with a fish bowl on top of a gorilla's costume in 3d in 3d <laughs> <laughs> that way you could see the antennas coming out at you yep <laughs> No, it's a lot of fun. It's a really pretty transfer. It, it does look good. It was a good time. My son and I sat down and watched it. I just went down and I was like, hey, you want to watch a really stupid movie? <laughs> He's like, I don't know. Like, it's in 3D, I guess. <laughs> so we sat in the living room. We got our little red and green glasses on and... Yeah, yeah. You posting you in the 3D glasses online was particularly entertaining too. Yep. <laughs> yep. So yeah, that, that, was, that was fun. 
because I occasionally have to watch it. I watched Danger Death Ray again. Oh. The uh, the unrift. Oh, you watched it unrift because yeah. interestingly enough, I caught the Mystery Science Theater recently. Yeah, I I I still enjoy that film so much. <laughs> Well, yeah, and from the Mystery Science Theater side, anytime it comes up, pops up, it's one of my favorites on Pluto TV. Uh, that again, that's one of those streaming services that still kind of hits warmly because it, it's a, it's kind of like the cable experience where you mm-hmm. can just have the the mystery of what what's on in the programming uh, slot this this hour. So, yeah, you see Danger Death Ray come up. I guess we're turning into the Mystery Science Theater channel. Yep. You know, the uh, new Transformers film, Rise of the Beast, according to the trailer, is the Transformers film we've been waiting for. <laughs> Not so much for me. No, no. That, that is a solid 5 out of 10. I mean, it is, it's not that it's bad, but it is far from being, like, exciting or good. Yeah, it, it's one of those things that uh, trying to rank Transformers movies is just, What's your favorite turd in the bowl? Yeah. I mean, they're all not great. Bumblebee was fun, but not yeah. not. It was still not fantastic. That was the that was the one I can say I've enjoyed the most. Right, and Rise of the Beast comes in behind that. Uh, if you're going to rank any of them, um, only because I mean they at least there's some G one kind of feel to it. Uh, they actually, the fact that they tried to have Unicron and make him look like Unicron was, right. was kind of cool. But it, again, they didn't take all the stuff that any of the, now granted, you go back and watch any of the original animation. It's not great. No. The story, but the story, if you can eliminate some of the cheesy dialogue and the fact that it's a half hour long commercial, uh, if you take out some of that, the overarching uh, story is actually kind of compelling, and they no filmmaker will just pick up on that and go, "There's something here. I can do more with that." Like the ter- Transformers movie, the animated one, is still the best Transformers movie. <laughs> right. So the fact that they took a lot of content from that movie and then still got it wrong is it was killing me. Yeah. Yeah, I just. There's so much about it that just doesn't um, – one, I don't understand. Is this sort of kind of reboots the franchise, but it also doesn't? Yeah. So I'm not sure where it really fits into any of it. I think I read recently you're not supposed to try to read more into it than there is. They all feed off of each other but aren't necessarily a coherent, contiguous storyline. And it also occurred to me watching this one seeing the the uh, the Maximals. Yeah. It it makes no sense for them to be transformers. No. What is the point? I'm a robot, now I transform into a really, you know, Ten foot tall ape. Right, right. Not <laughs> the whole point of Transformers was oh we can hide in plain sight. Well, Maximal not so much. <laughs> no, and, and uh, well, and that's the thing that they miss from if you go back and again the Beast Wars cartoon. If you watch it, it's cheesy as hell. Uh, but again, there's some good underlying content in there, and 
that's part of what's missing is the explanation for why they were animals in the first place was to protect them against the particular planet that they were on. Their robot form would build up a charge and and it would risk killing them, so they had to have an organic form. That was the purpose of it originally. So why we didn't get any of that explanation, and why would you? Because, I mean, we're just the audience. Right. <laughs> um, but, yeah, no, you get... Uh, particularly Optimus Primal as menacing as he looks as a giant gorilla, but when he transforms into a robot, he just still kind of looks like that gorilla with a different head. Right. <laughs> and the same, I have the issue with this film as I had with pretty much all the Transformers films is when the Transformers are fighting. It's just so chaotic, you can't I, make out what's happening. I don't know who's who. Right. It's, it, you're watching the film, you're like, oh, no, he's dead. Oh, 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 whoa. That was a, oh, that was a bad guy. Okay. Yeah. Or, oh, yeah, you got him. Oh, wait, that was, that was the good one? <laughs> yeah, like, even when the baddies are fighting, all of a sudden there's a legion uh, of other baddies coming from Unicron, and they all look like Scorponok. Uh, and and they all look like they, they literally are all scorpions just right. r- running around. And you're like, why? Where did that come from? Why is that a thing? It, yeah. No. And, and actually, one of my biggest frustrations with this one in particular, aside from, yes, when you get into a fight sequence, you don't know really who's fighting who or why you should care or make out anything. But I don't know if you noticed, uh, I picked up on this. So. We got a lot of time with the Maximals, and most of their time they spent in their their beast mode form. Mm-hmm. It was supposed to be a big deal when we finally got around to transforming them. Right? Can you say definitively that you actually saw any of them as a robot? Uh, like, just, you might have seen them as a blur running around. Yeah, just in the big charge. Right? Yeah, but you couldn't literally make out. What do they look like like robots? Right. <laughs> like, the toys are the closest thing that you'll ever get to finding out what they look like. Yeah. They they gave the uh, the main villain bot there um, the ability he... Scourge. Scourge. He shot um, Air Razor, yes. which... That, that's really taking it back to the 80s because that sounds like a cheesy toy name. Air, Air yeah. Razor was the name of yeah. the bird maximal from the show. <laughs> but she gets hit by something that slowly takes her over. Yeah. And, you know, she does the bidding of Scourge. And I'm blanking, why wouldn't he do that to all of them? Why wouldn't that just be his thing? Yeah. If he can do that and he wants to eliminate the maximal problem... He he's shot them and stabbed them and 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 everything and fought them. Why wouldn't he just use that tool every time? Well, exactly. <laughs> well, not to mention he had a he had a big beef with Optimus. We don't know where or why because we didn't get any of that backstory. And then again, I'm gonna because again, I'm a Transformers fan. Scourge, really. Scourge was a little flunky dude from from the movies <laughs> in the series, and now you've made him the the harbinger of death for for that. Like, no, no, yeah, <laughs> it's I, just terrible. It was definitely a film that maybe for like a seven year old, this sure. is like awesome. But this is where you put any thought into it at all. It's like it doesn't hold up. 
No, and if you hung out long enough, uh, not to ruin anything, it's all over the internet, so I'm not really giving away anything. But they're they're leading to some other story that they want to do. They want to re- resurrect GI Joe. Yep. And they want to, re- and I think the goal is to make the coveted uh, Transformers versus GI Joe or whatever. So, I knew there was like the, the crossover in like comic form. Yes, the comics uh, since the days of Marvel when uh, when Transformers was being produced by them mm-hmm. and GI Joe. Uh, yeah, that's where uh, combining the two came from. So, and it continued on into the IDW versions of the comic books. So, I know my son would absolutely die if he could actually see, like, Megatron strapped to Cobra Commander's hip. (laughs) (laughs) But I said, yeah, the days where you see Megatron actually turn into a gun, you'll never see that ever again. It's not going to happen. But uh, that's that's been my movie watching over the last couple of weeks. Yeah, uh, that's kind of where I'm at too. Uh, otherwise, lots of night court, lots of uh, catching up on things like Strange New Worlds. Yeah, uh, I'm behind, unfortunately. Yeah, Chris is a little behind, but there's been some really nice episodes. Good. Lately, I'm looking. So. I'm, I'm hoping. I'm, I'm I'm hoping to be pleasantly surprised with and, and, and character developing, kind of yeah. where we focus and. and and without getting into it, I'm not going to ruin any of the episode for you, but it was just nice to see he had a very original series feel of this one particular episode. And it just got back into the, I love the episodes where we, there's not a big baddie going on. We're just dealing with the angst of what happens on board Starship. Life in, of the Enterprise. Yeah, the life of the Enterprise and her crew. And in this case, it focuses a little on Spock okay. this time. But uh, but yeah, we progress a little bit more with the Vulcan thing and his... I'm enjoying the whole him being a younger version of himself and really having a little more angst around his half-human, half-Vulcan side. So right, they cool. do a nice job with it. All right, sweet. Well, and that is probably as good a segue as any to uh, take a break here. Uh, we'll listen to a promo for another podcast. And when we get back, we'll continue some Trek discussion as we look <laughs> at 2009's Star Trek. Fascinating. Enjoy movies like Carnival of Souls, The Mole People, Black Sunday, and The Tingler. Do you find yourself late at night reading magazines such as Film Max, Chiller Theater, or Monster Bash? Do you love vintage television programs like Sky King, Outer Limits, and The Time Tunnel? Do you find yourself surfing the net looking for the next monster movie festival or expo? Do you enjoy hearing anecdotes, cinematic details, and unusual insights into some of your favorite movies? If you answered yes to any of the above, you are encouraged to join your host, Vince Rotolo, as he examines some of the latest horror, sci-fi, and cult theatrical releases, new DVDs to add to your collection, and of course, the old classics, both good and bad. He even interviews people throughout B-Moviedom. So tune into B-Movie Cast 
at bmoviecast.com. I couldn't believe it when the bartender told me who you are. Why are you talking to me, man? Your father was captain of a starship for 12 minutes. He saved 800 lives. Including yours. I dare you to do better. Enlist in Starfleet. You will experience fear. Fear in the face of certain death. Pull your chute! We received a distress call. I've been waiting for this day my whole life. This day of reckoning. I've got no captain and no first officer to replace him. Yeah, we do. You are capable of deciding your own destiny. The question is, which path will you choose? James T. Kirk was a great man, but that was another life. Airlocking torpedoes. Emergency evasive. Fire everything! Two thousand nine Star Trek was directed by J.J. Abrams and was written by Robert Orchi and or or Orsi, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah, I think so. Uh, and was written by Robert Orsi and Alex Kurtzman. The film is the eleventh film in the franchise and also reboots the franchise as well, returning to the original characters from the nineteen sixties television series, albeit recast. Chris Pine takes on the role of James Kirk. Zachary Quinto is Spock. Carl Urban is McCoy. Zoe Saldana is Uhura, and Simon Pegg as Scotty. In the film, Old Spock, played by Leonard Nimoy, attempts to save Romulus from a supernova using something called red matter. He and a giant Romulan mining vessel are pulled into a temporal anomaly, sending them back in time. The Romulans, led by Nero, arrive first and destroy a Federation ship, the USS Kelvin. Lieutenant George Kirk manages to save most of the crew, including his wife and newborn son before crashing the Kelvin into the Romulan vessel. Flash forward about 22 years, I think, a young Kirk is convinced to join Starfleet by Captain Pike. Jump another three years, and Kirk, Spock, and McCoy's individual escapades bring them to serving on the newly commissioned USS Enterprise. They engage Nero, who is attacking Vulcan and has destroyed several Starfleet ships. Nero kidnaps Pike, destroys Vulcan, and sets course for Earth. With help from old Spock, who arrived in the past 25 years later than Nero, our heroes have to overcome their differences and unite to rescue Pike and stop Nero from destroying the Federation one planet at a time. This is probably the <laughs> third time I've actually watched this film. Okay. That's, uh, that's uh, two more than I thought. <laughs> I can't recall if I went and saw this in the theater. I may have. If not, I saw it immediately when it came to home video. Right. I, I, 
I'm thinking I might have went to the, gone to the theater. Uh, I wouldn't see why you wouldn't have. You might have at least given it a shot. Yeah. And I know then, I saw this in a theater. And then I think um, I watched it one, two, three years later, maybe trying to say, all right, maybe it's not as bad as I remember. <laughs> yeah. And then now watching it the third time for this show. Uh if I watch it not as a Star Trek film, uh-huh. it I don't hate it. No. It's not awful. It's certainly it's as good or better than a lot of those, the stuff I watch. No, I, I, absolutely. If I subtract the Star Trek from it. Right. Every time, though, that it reminds me that this is supposed to be a Star Trek film, that's when like the real, the bad taste comes back in my mouth. It's not a good representation of what it is to be Star Trek. Because it tries too hard to be another science fiction film, which misses the point. Like, uh, if you get through the opening sequence, and here, I'm, I'm going to give them a little credit on this. If you're going to try to do a newer version of the original series, their story arc, the notion that our Spock, our Leonard Nimoy Spock, did something in the future that put him in the past that set us on an alternate timeline. If if you had to do this anyway, this was a good way to do that. The alternate timeline is the only way you could tell the story. That was actually very clever of the filmmakers to go, okay, this is an alternate timeline because that removes all the canon that it has does. been set forth for the past, at uh, this time, 50, what, 50 some years? Yeah, yeah no, absolutely. And, and when... They they literally spell it out at one point during the film that, yeah, we're not the people we were supposed to be because this has happened and it's – there's no way to undo what just happened. Right. So, I mean, at this point, even by the time they figure out that that's what's happened, the 25 years have gone by. So, they there's no better way to do what they're done. And I'm going to go a little further casting in this was amazing some mostly it, i i'm not a huge fan of the chris pine kirk really i thought yeah. he well and now that we have a third kirk as well he's chris pine is the better kirk consider uh, paul wesley i think his name is i'll take so, your word for it um i know it's paul. it sounds right yeah chris pine i thought captured the swagger. Actually, if anything, he did he did Kirk a little bit of grace in they acknowledged that Kirk is not a dumb man. He is a genius level individual. And you would have never gotten that out of the old 60s show that right. you would have thought he's the guy they pulled out of a pickup truck and said, you're in charge. Mm-hmm. Um, if you watch the go back and watch the original. So I thought Chris Pine did do a decent job at adding some new layers coming off as the smarter guy than, than well, usual. The the writers did that. The, they did. The writers. He, I think he overplayed uh the idea of Kirk and the, and this may be a little bit more it, it, it as much as the director as it is him sure. his fault it, is the overplayed the uh, the womanizing the, the the wandering eye the uh, 
the cavalier attitude, I think is all a little overplayed. It is, especially when they did their intro interpretation of the Kobayashi Maru sequence. I really dislike that. That part, that's where they take it too far. Uh, We all accept that Kirk cheated. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't like the way that they decided to explain that Kirk cheated in this and and, and his his bravado during the entire sequence where he's not even hiding that he's done something underhanded to, to pull this off. So he's just eating it all up, and he he's chewing screen while he's doing it, and mm-hmm. it's just that part's too much. Yeah, I, I and I think this film suffers from that in other places too, it where it, it takes a lot of stuff that we know and that we've been told, and and that happened in the past and everything, and it's like, oh, and look, here it is, and isn't it funny? And they they turn it into some sort of joke, I, right? The idea of Kirk being the only guy to beat the Kobayashi Maru and how he did it and everything. I, I still always imagined very much like we saw uh, Savick's Kobayashi Maru, mm-hmm. but he still manages to come out on the end and, and save the ship. Doesn't say it's not a joke. He doesn't do it like like you were yeah. saying with this little like oh I'm going to eat an apple because right. that's what I did when I told the story of beating the Kobayashi Maru. All that stuff was just I, it. It really annoyed me. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, it, it, playing lip service to it, and it's yeah. it, too clever by half kind of thing. So, yes, but no, but you can get into the rest uh, uh, of them. Uh, so, yeah, there are a few moments where, whether it's Chris Pine or direction or just the writing, um, it goes too far. But I think he captures the spirit. But tell me who didn't do a, a good job in their role as each of those individual characters. I thought they did an excellent job in the casting. Well, like I said, I think Chris Pine overplayed it a little bit too much. I think um, I think Zachary Quinto as Spock. Now, granted, I don't think the script did him any, no. any real service, but there are moments, and when he actually plays him closer to, like, the Spock that we know, mm. oh, my God. I mean, it's almost chilling. I mean, he nails it. I was like that, that was genius casting. Yes. No. Uh, now, when the script tells him to be the um, comical Vulcan or right. something at times, or the uh, I'm gonna get angry and blow my top, or make out with my girlfriend in the turbo lift Spock or whatever. Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah, that's the script's fault. That's not Quinto's fault. That's no, the no, script's no, no, no. Because he, yeah, he played the role when he was playing it as Spock. He played it to perfection. But yes, they'd had some very non-traditional Spock moments, too. Yes. And it's not that you can't have them. It's just that they kind of just ran them into the ground whenever they did do them. Mm-hmm. I can accept that he might have had a relationship with Uhura under these circumstances. But yes, showing it off in the turbo lift or even on the uh, the transport pad, pad yeah. while, while they're waiting to go res- save the day, that didn't seem like that. That was out of place. Yeah, absolutely. It's forced. Uh, the rest of the casting, no, I think not too bad. I, Simon Pegg is Scotty. Again, maybe a little overplayed. A little bit, yeah. Um, especially when you get to the end and he is just thro- – he is lobbing out catchphrases from Scotty. For, oh, with, yeah. uh, he He's wandering through the brewery, and yeah. we will get into that. Um, but he's wandering through the brewery. He's doing nothing. He's touching nothing. And he is screaming over the comm, I'm giving her all she's got, Captain. And I'm like, yeah. you're doing shit. 
<laughs> so I'm like, what exactly are you giving her? So, yeah, the, those those moments were just like, what are you doing? Yeah, I think he's he just a, a little too... Um, Scotty always had a little bit of humor about sure. him and everything, but I think Simon Pegg just sort of plays him a little too much as the comedian. Yeah, a little bit too much. But, again, this gets into... the. That's the writing. That's yes, the direction. Yeah. Um, this is what they wanted. <laughs> I have a hard time saying anything I've ever seen Carl Urban do as being bad. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Just, he's, he, even if I didn't really care for the film he's been in, he, Carl Urban has always been like, uh, you can do no wrong, sir. Sorry. Yeah, no. Uh, <laughs> well, and, and, and to that point, he did no wrong. I mean, He's a prettier guy that, than DeForest Kelly ever hoped to be. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, he still managed to, like, he, he's known for also being in highly physical roles, so usually mm-hmm. he has a bit of a physique on him, and he managed to tone that down. He, mm-hmm. he got the skinny doctor look kind of in, as best as a Carl Urban can do. Right. Uh, but, no, his, his little southern charm uh, and the way he delivered his lines and, and even... Okay, I will give some credit to the the film for coming up with the origin for bones. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All I've got is the uh, the wife. The wife took everything else. All I've got, got is, is my, my bones. bones. <laughs> oh, like okay. You can hate on this film all day long, but that moment was nice. <laughs> yeah, that was kind of that was kind of nice. Uh, I was like. That that's cool. Like we never got an explanation to Bones anywhere, mm-hmm. and this is an alternate timeline, so it doesn't even have to be that that's where that came from. But in this world, it that's where this came from, and it's awesome. Yeah, yeah. and uh, going back to the script, I think it was this. I blame fully on 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 the script is he and Spock's immediate. Um, dislike of each other kind of thing or his, yeah. his his barbs towards Spock. I mean, he doesn't know him. He meets yeah. him five minutes and he's already calling him names and stuff. Right. That I, I, I never liked. I, no. I I really think that the the Kirk, Spock, McCoy um, friendship, Spock and McCoy in particular, they're sort of their, their back and forth and how they kind of bristled against each other and everything. I always felt like that that grew over time and now they actually had earned like the mutual respect that they could sit there and insult each other because right. they knew at the end of the day yeah it was it, it's as much gentle ribbing as it is intended to actually get somebody's dander up yeah yeah, yeah exactly and and to have it immediately put on screen with these guys in as soon as they meet i was like yeah again and, that's uh, that's shorthand and that's just the script. Well, and, and since you're talking about the shorthand, I'm going to jump in with some of the stuff that really make gets me going on this. Because, again, the original series played it fast and loose because, I mean, it was the original series. This had never existed before. They It was clear that when Roddenberry conceived of Starfleet, he built it off of... Navy hierarchy and all of that stuff, and that's that's where it all comes from. So, uh, I'm going to start with a couple of things. So, yeah, Kirk saying he he's going to enlist, and that's what they say. Right. But he's going to be an officer. I'm like, mm-hmm. well, that's not how military ranks work. So, that's already throwing me off. And then, okay, maybe they misstate the enlisting. He's going to the academy. 
because that's where he does end mm-hmm. up. He's in San Francisco. He's at the academy. And saying he's smart enough to make it through in three years, I don't have a problem with that. But let's all remember, folks, that when he gets recruited to do this, he is in Iowa where they have dug a trench in the middle of Iowa that I am not aware of ever existing. There's there, there's uh, a very big sandstone mine, I guess. Well, <laughs> you, you know what? If they're building the starships on the ground... They which, do raw material. Uh, yeah, maybe they just dug up Iowa to start right. building the fleet. But all that said, the Enterprise is being built when he gets recruited and almost looks like she's done. Mm-hmm. Like, she is close... And yet she is only going into service as a brand new ship three, three years, years later. later. Yeah. How long does it take to build these damn things? Uh, maybe we are to assume that's not, uh, it, maybe it's the Enterprise. No, 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 no. no. When the, the shuttlecraft with, with, with Kirk and McCoy flies away, uh, they fly past uh, both the, the shuttle bay and the nacelles that are, say, NCC 1701. Oh, and it says Enterprise along the When they the take bo- off from the When from they the take Earth. off from, from Earth to head to... In, I love that they're, they were headed into space, but the Academy's in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. So they, they, this is where some of it is like... What, did you not do... Like, did you not think... Those of us that are Star Trek fans wouldn't notice well, some of the these shuttle things. didn't go to space. Maybe the shuttle went to San Francisco. Well, but then why is he worried about his blood boiling if there's a leak in the thing? Oh, McCoy. Like, yeah, yeah, good McCoy. Point. Uh, no, so these are the things that I'm picking up on, and I'm watching it all unfold. I'm like, did, did you not watch anything? Have you not? Did, like, I imagine Roddenberry actually went and reviewed how a military rank structure works and, and all that as he's busy trying to write Starfleet. And, and like, you didn't take it into any account. And you like, okay, we're not going to notice that you just literally put on the screen three years later as you show us the ship, all but done. Right. <laughs> and you're like, but she's brand new. I'm like, is she? <laughs> <laughs> And as is, I already have my qualms with building ships that size that are space bound on the ground. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Want to see how they got that up there? Yeah. yeah. Well, as is, they ruin that a little bit later when when we're in the other movies and it falls through Earth's atmosphere, and now there's a gajillion thrusters on on the bottom of it that right, all of act as rockets. And like, like, oh, okay, then where does everybody live? Because apparently you're <laughs> packing a lot of fuel here. Uh, but no, it starts doing all that, and then we go into the adventure, and the way that they handle rank structure all the way around. I think, first off, Kirk is a, an under the review cadet, mm-hmm. manages to get on the ship and gets made first for, officer. First officer it, within minutes of, of being on the ship, which of course, what? Um, and I, I don't care who Pike is. He doesn't have the authority to do that under any circumstance. Um, and then, yeah, the constant naming the captain. Yeah, yeah, okay. When the captain leaves the ship, there is a second and third and fourth in command. That's that's standard structure. You don't name them actual captain when you right. leave. That's not how any of this works. So... Yeah, it, it, the, all of that just starts really driving me crazy because I, I, I like the fact that Pike tells uh, Kirk that he's first officer 
mm-hmm. on their way to the shuttle bay. Yeah. So he and maybe Spock, I think, are the only ones that hear it. Well, no, because uh, uh, Sulu was with them. Oh, it was a Sulu. Okay, yeah. right. Because he backs him up later when Kirk assumes right. command. Right, but it really feels like you could have just walked on the bridge and like, um, Pike said I'm captain? Right. Oh, okay. <laughs> you know, fine. Right. <laughs> yeah, no, it's just, oh, it was just so irritating. And I'm like, I'm, I'm sorry, when you're do, if you're going to do a Star Trek movie, the devil is in the details. Mm-hmm. Those of us that go there going to see Star Trek are going to pick this stuff apart. Try making a Star Wars movie and get getting all of that wrong and see how that goes. <laughs> <laughs> you, you mentioned something early on about yeah. um, the alternate timeline. Mm-hmm. It, this is often referred to as like the Kelvin timeline. Yeah. Yeah, because of the the the, destruction the incident of with the, the Kelvin you know, launches the new timeline. Yeah, that's what everyone says. I question whether that's true. I think we are an alternate timeline long before the Kelvin incident. I think this is already an alternate universe than the one we're familiar with, just based on the drastic differences of the characters and the aesthetics. Okay, um, like what? This timeline is definitely different than TOS. And the next generation, because the next generation definitely takes place at their TOS. Sure. So that's that's all one timeline for Absolutely. sure. Absolutely. Uh, and the next generation, you know, Voyager, Deep Space Nine, whatever that can all TOS, all the same timeline. Um, I think this is a different timeline than like Discovery and Strange New Worlds. Okay. Yeah, because it kind of has to be. That definitely has to be because Pike is completely. I mean, his his story, everything is different. So that's a separate timeline as well. That's true. So that doesn't that's not part of the Kelvin timeline either. Nor is that timeline, I think, the same as TOS and the next generation. It's possible that this could be the same universe as like Star Trek Enterprise. Just based well, on they, the they, uh, they, the they, level of technology. Because the because Enterprise was like really the first one that said Okay, we can't have things the way they were in the 1960s. We can't have right. things that look even older than that because that looked ridiculous. That was plywood right. and, and, and yeah. plastic. So they had to do something different with Enterprise. So suddenly, you know, the technology looks different and everything. I can see where that technology could have evolved into what we're seeing in, like, the J.J. Abrams verse. Well, and they, they do make an re- a direct reference to... Enterprise in this film. Yeah, they they talk they about Archer and Archer's his prize beagle. beagles yeah. and yeah, yeah. So Porthos was who uh, Scotty. Yeah. I don't know when or or why um, you know the timelines diverged or anything, but I I think this is completely separate. They might as well not even ever just pretend that TOS doesn't exist. Well, in this case, this completely usurps TOS. It, oh, does, it doesn't exist. But I don't have a problem with a thing. Well, and we we might disagree a little bit. I think Discovery is, uh, despite it go- getting its, is it fifth or sixth season? I don't even remember. I know it's going to get a final season here. Um, but I, I think overall they're... Discovery is slowly being removed from existence. Um, even like like I mentioned, uh, Strange New Worlds is m- pointing out a few things that are still Discovery related. Uh, actually, interestingly enough, the uh, the Spock episode I'm talking about, um, 
their version of Amanda, his mother, does make an appearance again, and it is the same woman. That was in Discovery. For, was in Discovery. But I, um, Discovery and Strange New Worlds are supposed to feed directly off Enterprise and then go in to TOS. I think that's the, the goal. I think that's all still supposed to be in canon. Okay. It's just a... Di- we're getting an evolved version of it. Again, acknowledging uh, everybody can like the aesthetic of TOS for what it is in the 60s, but you have to recognize if you're actually in the 20, 23rd, 24th century, the technology isn't going to look like cardboard sets. Right. So no, that's I get that. why I like Strange New Worlds as much as I do. I get that it doesn't look exactly like the original series enterprise but it was never gonna mm-hmm. um but i think it's a really good interpretation of what a retcon of the enterprise might be sure in fact if anything they set it up a little bit i enjoy like uh getting into the technicals the swept uh the swept uh nacelle support on the current one in strange new worlds because that makes more sense if you get to the refit fit and it was already swept, already back swept too. right so but that doesn't, yeah. The the technology that we get in the two thousand nine movie yeah. is so wildly different, right, and yeah. the Kelvin itself was already kind of off brand with right. its yeah. look. Strange New Worlds is not going to turn into any into the USS Kelvin technology and and universe. No, and, and honestly, if you take a look at the Kelvin itself before it gets destroyed. It had more of the movie quality kind of style to it in advance. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, like, the details of the saucer section, uh, the little nodules that were up for the phase cannons, all that. That all felt far more like the the 80s Star Trek movies than it did uh, anything from TOS. And since this was supposed to... Theoretically, the moments of Kelvin are supposed to take place years in it. What? 20? 20, 20 some years. Yeah, 20 plus years in advance of of TOS. So I'm like, wow, it, you could be on to something in yeah. this being an alternate timeline from the get-go, in which case then you're back to the, did it need to be Star Trek at all? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, pretty much. Or did it need to be Kirk, Spock, and McCoy? Uh, right. Yeah, no, we could have. T- yeah, if you've alternated the universe, uh, do it all. Right. It doesn't have to be these characters. It was an opportunity to do something different. Yeah, it's unfortunately it's the stuff that. Obviously, this is kind of like the Nick Bicky stuff, and this it this is. is this is my Star Trek nerd coming through. I I'll sure. admit it in everything. Oh yeah, you can't pick this apart fully. Like like you said, this is not a bad science fiction film. If you want a shoot 'em up science fiction film with where the stakes are high and all that this is good you mm-hmm. can enjoy this rather quite a bit story's coherent the characters are not bad you can you can actually get on board with this but again it's that star trek element it's far too violent like right out of the gate they're, they're having bar fights aren't we supposed to have been beyond that at this stage <laughs> i'm not saying humans didn't fight with each other still but everything just felt like we had gone backward right uh, did that even really happen at quirks <laughs> <laughs> right i mean uh, like yeah we were known even in the original series to get into the occasional barroom brawl somewhere but it was usually provoked by something else right the idea is 
humanity was trying to chill and you had to be picked. Yeah, the it. idea that, you know, a a Starfleet cadet would be coming up there and going, oh, is this guy bugging him? Let me kick his ass. Right, like, yeah, wow, that, where, that's your first move? <laughs> where's, where's the Starfleet ideal now? <laughs> right, yeah, it, it, exactly. And and the notion that Uhura needed to be saved mm-hmm. and all. Yes, in the 60s, we would have still done that. Cause, oh, yeah. Because you can't go back and watch old Star Trek and go, this is still pretty damn sexist. Oh, yeah, no, Absolutely. <laughs> In fact, uh, uh, Roddenberry was notorious. Um, he was never going to get on board with a wo- woman captain uh, ever. So this, that all jives. But uh, but yeah, no, it just didn't have that feel like we were as evolved. And then, yeah, there's always going to be the human Vulcan animosity kind of thing because the, the personalities don't quite jive all the time. But uh, there's still something a little too much edgy about it like the the notion that he like you pointed out Kirk Kirk is confronting Spock for the first time and it's essentially an instructor caught him cheating and is holding him accountable and, and he is calling him names racial mm-hmm. slurs and like really is that what is that what we're doing in this and like I, we were supposed to be above that yeah. at this stage yeah and i think those are some of the things um that annoy me. Uh, the um, the attempt at fan service, but in like the weirdest ways. You know, yeah. with the um, you're talking about with McCoy immediately going with all you know, you know pointy eared goblin. And, yeah. You know, calling it the the, the insults. Uh, you know, at the end, he's like Pike's in a wheelchair. You know, like <laughs> cry many. You know, yeah. it's just it's just a little too just smack me in the face sort of thing. Yeah, the uh, and that gets me back to the. Giving it all she got, right? Like, yeah, you're that. not doing anything. Um, can we can we talk about their choices of uh, of the brewery though? <laughs> oh, the, the the decision to do the, uh, the the yeah the brewery as the engine room, and weirdly because it's J.J. Abrams, the engine room for the Kelvin was someplace different than yeah. the engine room for the Enterprise. I forget. Uh, I forget. It was like a power plant or something like that. Yeah. Why? Yeah. No. <laughs> but, but why? Period. Why but, go that route? No. And, and this is where another one of those scenes goes off. Where it, if you just watch it for the content, it, you're supposed to be laughing and picking up on a plot point that will come up le- in literally in minutes because this movie doesn't, it, it telegraphs everything it's about to do and then just yeah. does it. It doesn't even let you mm-hmm. mull on that for a while. So there's the sequence shortly after they've all arrived. And of course this, the enterprise is late because Sulu didn't turn off the break, um, <laughs> which whatever. Yeah. Yeah. You're, 23rd century starship doesn't warn you that you're inertial dampeners or whatever the hell it is. You know, there's not a little red line on a dash that says, oh, you need to disengage that. Yeah, yeah no, but all of that aside, that this is the reason the Enterprise is behind the rest of the fleet headed for Vulcan. And Kirk picks up on the stuff that, uh, again, we've gone a little over the top with, with Chekhov. I love Anton in, in the role. Um, but making fun of his accent. And, it, yeah, the idea that the computer can't understand him. That's, yeah, that, that, it's insulting. I mean, that's, it, that's, 
It is, and especially since this is a unified Earth, and while I'm not saying he wouldn't necessarily speak Russian, but the likelihood that he wouldn't speak English clearly at this stage, real realistic at this point. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, yeah, uh, even the original version of Chekhov, the, the, the accent was pretty minimal. Yeah. It was there, it was but there. it wasn't as heavy as they, no, they, they, so they made went poor Anton way over do it. the top yeah. in this, and then making it so he couldn't talk to the computer. But so he tells the little spiel that kicks off Kirk's memory of the lightning in space and all mm-hmm. that, and that's when he also remembered what he overheard Uhura talking about in her room. Mm-hmm. Um, he takes off to go find her because apparently the ship doesn't have intercoms. <laughs> right. Um, but her workstation is literally sitting next to what uh, I guess we're supposed to assume are are the reactors for the ship. Right. <laughs> I'm like, wait, she's sitting here doing linguistic work sitting next to a humming warp core? Right. I'm like, okay, that makes a whole lot of sense. But yeah, and it never, none of this stuff ever jives. So you get on the bridge and uh, the lens flare uh, fiasco that that Blinds you. Yeah, like, I don't know who's supposed to work here. I'm like, I like, my eyes are bleeding. It's so bright mm-hmm. bright in here. Like, we're in space, for God's sake. I, I, I read uh, a little bit. Sorry to interrupt you. It's just no, I, what am I thinking of it? I, I read that there was uh, someone at the film processing lab or something like that was questioning why it was it, the, the the film was so overexposed. I, I forget <laughs> who it was. There was someone that was wondering why the film seemed so overexposed. They didn't realize that it was meant to be. Yeah, that that, that was on purpose, <laughs> such as it is. But but yeah, no. But you get that that bridge where. Actually, if you take out the insanely large amount of lighting, it looks like a sophisticated starship bridge. I, an acceptable uh, example of what they wanted to try to do. And honestly, one of the things that has at least come out of that that did then get incorporated into the current runs of Star Trek is how the front of the bridge looks. The view screen, the fact right. that it's a window now mm-hmm. and then it has multi-purpose. I like that. I'm okay with that. Yeah, I never cared for it, but if yeah, sure. you don't, that's fine. Yeah. But it, it's one of those features I, I can get on board with it. Uh, um, so I, I didn't mind that. But then you get that environment, and then you go down to the engine room, which definitely does not look like it belongs it's in this century. Concrete and steel. Yeah, it's concrete and steel, and they're still running up and down pipework ladders. And, and there's there's literally valve gauges everywhere. And you're like, what am I looking at? Why is this here? And the one that really gets me over the top, it's right at the beginning of the movie. When, when the captain of the Kelvin goes to the shuttlecraft and he literally has to go through the the plastic uh, refrigerator <laughs> locker curtain to get on board. Yeah. I'm like, don't understand why that was What there. is that for? <laughs> I'm like, there isn't. They're in space. That little plastic curtain's not doing shit. <laughs> if there's a hole gap breach of any kind, I'm like, why? Why is it here? What? Did, what was the reason to put that on? So yeah, the stuff that I used to see in the back room of the grocery store does not belong on a starship. Yeah. Uh. The 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 set design in large part I think was in. Thanks to Abrams and, you know, definitely his crew. I really don't know why they did what they did. It was... 
You know they got money. Why not build sets like anyone else? The Paramount lot is riddled with all sorts of stuff that you could launch from. I mean, I don't know about you. I've always enjoyed when you go to see, whether it's on TV or you go on film and you're going to see a new Enterprise, you're sitting there going, you want to see the bridge, obviously. Uh, Yeah. The, The second thing you want to see, I wonder what it looks like. Is the engine room right? Yeah. Ever ever since uh, next gen came. Oh yeah. With the the big the uh, core the big core and the columns and the lights and everything. After that, it's kind of like, what's next? What's it gonna look well, like? Yeah, well, even actually go back to 1979 when the engine room had that all the, actually the birthed the the warp core the yeah. way it is today. Yeah, exactly. And so that's like that's important. So. Yeah, that's kind of like you need to build an engine room, not right. not go to Anheuser Busch. No, because uh, that's the thing with some of those sets that they did for those engine rooms is how you lay that out kind of gives you the impression of where all this stuff goes in relationship to a ship that has a giant disc at the front and two giant engines hanging off the back. You want to get that sense that the stuff that's in there flows to that yeah it goes some somewhere way. yeah, yeah and, and not just and it's not just a tangle of of aluminum tanks. and they're yeah. tanks <laughs> like what is it like yeah you got a lot of pipe work in here you've got those two giant nacelles i didn't see a single pipe that went out at angles anywhere <laughs> right. for any of this stuff i'm like and and then even when we get to the end and we're we're I, I give them a little credit that when they ejected the warp core, it was actually six different pieces, mm-hmm. which at least kind of goes with their tank model that was there. I so suppose. I give them a little, little room for that. But I'm like, still, I'm like, I don't know how any of that. Can you imagine going through if that was what we were seeing? This brewery is our warp core, and they launch it out. Didn't they just? blow out everything out of the secondary hull because apparently that's just one big gaping hole. Right. <laughs> it's got one deck. They all go up and down the little rickety ladders and all that, but yeah, it's just... Half the fun in any science fiction thing is make me believe you are where you say you are, mm-hmm. and that immediately yeah, takes you out of it. Does. It does. It completely... It reminds me of... Do you remember... Going jumping back to like MST, mm-hmm. they did a film. I've, I'm trying to remember the name of the film, Space Mutiny. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. They had the the exteriors were all uh, the, the old Battlestar Battlestar Galactica Galacti- yeah. bot footage, but the interiors were a brewery or a, a warehouse. Yeah, they they were in a number of places. Anywhere or a power they could plant. Get, yeah. yeah, anywhere they could get lots of pipe work. But I mean, yeah, it was all concrete and, and steel and all that, and like. On board your metal ship. <laughs> right. Yeah, and th- so it, it, it does. To me, I see that, and maybe the casual moviegoer who doesn't go and watch all these cheesy sci-fi films or whatever, yeah. maybe it wouldn't have the same effect as, as it does me. But when I go and then I see that, it cheapens the entire film. It is kind of funny. Ever since I did catch Space Mutiny... <laughs> Anytime I see 2009's Star Trek, I'm like, oh, God, it's so close to Space Mutiny. You're just waiting for a beef uh, chunk castle or whatever he, they called it. They kept calling him. Henry Kettlebells. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, because that was the half the fun of them picking on that film is coming up with all the names for the guy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because Lord knows wasn't watching the movie. <laughs> <laughs> 
I'm going to give it one other little quick shout out. The music that they came up with. I was for just going to say, I don't know if we might disagree or whether or not this film looks pretty. Yeah. I was thinking that as I was listening to like the, the, the score as it starts, yeah. the main theme and everything. Yeah. When I'm watching it this time, I'm thinking it sounds pretty. Yeah. No. The music is actually really good. At least the main theme is like the main theme is is 100% perfect. Trek. Hear it in your head the the little horn section going, and as you're hearing it, it sounds like something should be moving along really mm-hmm. quick, and it just yeah that was if you had to come up with a Star Trek theme and said I've never heard anything ever about Star Trek ever make me a Star Trek theme. That was it. They yeah, did a, they no, nailed that. No, I I could actually probably sit and listen to the soundtrack and mm-hmm. and and truly enjoy it. Yeah. Um and and think of it as a Star Trek soundtrack. Absolutely. Yeah. I just can't watch the film and think of it as a Star Trek film. <laughs> no. No. No, and it, and it like like I said, it's such a shame cuz honestly, they could have taken this. They could have tweaked it a little bit. Like I said, I still think casting was pretty good. I think if they had actually written a Star Trek movie, uh, like a fully, mm-hmm. even using a good hunk of this, and just get some more elements correct, take out some of the goofy, violent stuff, um, take out that stupid, ri- ridiculous segment with Kirk as a kid. Yeah. I'm like I, I get that they wanted that because they were paralleling the the Spock as a kid thing um, to just kind of show their different upbringings. Not that we got much out of Kirk's upbringing other than he's a little shit. Right. Um, but I mean, yeah. Uh, if you take out some of those really tragic elements, do a better job with the ship and the, and the set work mm-hmm. and then, and then give them a better story. Uh, um, yeah. I, you had a chance. Maybe get a, um, a villain with a little bit more beat on his bones. So someone like Eric Bana, who comes in and does the role, doesn't act like he's like, I've got a half an hour. <laughs> Hi, Christopher. Yeah, I'm evil, and I need you to come to my ship. <sighs> really not a I, I, not a good. No, but I, I, there was some parts of that delivery that amused me. I don't know that they fit. 
Uh, but but the way he kind of handled that is like, yeah, you guys can't really do much to me. So, hi, what's going on? Yeah, I no, <laughs> I I didn't didn't I'm here like to that murder what, you all. I didn't like that whatsoever. No, but. Uh, I, no, I, it, it, I will say it's 100% garbage, but I can still kind of smile when All I read right. it. Well, I posted to social media that yes. we were going to watch this one. Not surprisingly, we did get uh, a, a few comments, quite a few comments on this, uh, scattered throughout the different social media platforms. Again, follow the link in the show notes to define them. Uh, I'll start with uh, the counter social, Mark15. I enjoy nearly all of the takes on Star Trek I've seen. I can't connect with Lower Decks, but Abrams in the animated series from the mid-70s, the original, even Voyager, is good. Love Discovery, Picard, and Strange New Worlds. And I like the novels I've read, too. Interesting. That is one of the things I find curious from all the different feedbacks and the comments that we get is the the different – just the different ones that that the people choose to love and the ones that they don't enjoy as much. And it's – it's so in, it, it's so interesting because everyone is different. Mm-hmm. You know, it's very rare that you find two people that like, oh yeah, I like this one, I like this one, I don't like this one. And, oh yeah, me too. It's almost always there's like, oh well, no, I kind of like that one. It, it it always depends. Usually, it's like where they were in their life, how old they mm-hmm. were, what was yep. the first show, one that they they watched. Um, I know you really enjoy Lower Decks. Yes, I do. Um, I tried watching it, and it really it just didn't grab me. I didn't I didn't care for it. Um, Discovery is definitely not. A, I'm not no. a fan of that. You know, and other people love it, and you know, I certainly don't. I don't discount them for for right. loving any of the of the series. If that's what they enjoy, great. You know, a Trek fan is a Trek fan, regardless of which incarnation of it is. Right. So. That being said, let's move on. Uh, Facebook, uh, Floyd uh, says that he liked it. He didn't mind changing the timeline to breathe new life into the franchise, which was the point of the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I do agree that changing the timeline to bring new life isn't a bad idea. No. I just didn't think this one. No, there was enough flaws in it that it just doesn't pull me in. Right. Psalm says, can't help it, love this flick. Also like the take in the villain as he was, even though misled in his vengeance. But because of what happened to him as a hardworking miner, regular guy who lost his family in his world, sort of felt for the guy's loss, and that made him a bit of a deeper character than just simply bent on taking over or destroying the Earth, etc. Yeah, I do, you know, I do like that idea that it is he was just he was just a guy. He he was a captain of a mining vessel. And right. he, he watched his world get destroyed and he was thrown into this circumstance. No, I, I completely agree with that, which is, again, part of the better elements of this and why, actually, it, it does make it a little bit more fun that this is what launches a new timeline, is the notion that just a, a mining ship from so far into their future just renders all of their technology completely useless by yeah. comparison. It just... He doesn't have to try to, to do anything. He's outclassed them all. Uh, he follows up. He says, in that scene where young James T. Kirk takes the joyride in that red muscle car, then to be chased by the airborne cop vehicle, seriously, and we think of the Rush song lyrics to Red Bar- Barchetta, I was hooked. <laughs> so, okay. okay. A little more invested. <laughs> yeah. 
uh, over on Discord, uh, Catterberg. She says, ugh, watching that was like seeing someone take the corpse of a thing I loved and wrapped it around an action movie. It was a fine movie, but had all the, the trappings of none of the... It was a fine movie, but had all of the trappings and none of the soul of Trek. So glad Discovery and others came later to recapture it. See, that's so interesting. Yeah, and why having conversations with any Trekkies is interesting, because it's amazing what we all kind of pick up on Mm -hmm. and where our pain points are. Like, I can't get on board with the Discovery thing at all. Uh, Also on Discord, uh, Steph says, Regarding Star Trek 2009, I'm a TNG gal myself, so TOS story and characters aren't as near and dear to me. I wasn't gutted or super disappointed when I saw it because it was basically what I expected. That flashy 2009 HD is new and you must use every filter available uh, (laughs) reboot trying to capture the gold rush beginnings in the MCU era. I think it was a fun alternate story or Trek filler to introduce the franchise to younger and or newer viewers for the time. It did make me go back and watch some more TOS than I normally would, and I still think casting was done fairly well. Pine was a good call, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I, I did ask her, I asked her uh, that, were, was she already familiar with a lot of the, the TOS right. prior to this? or Because I was trying to, like, would this film make someone want to go back and watch TOS and I think if they would they'd watch an episode and go no never mind <laughs> <laughs> well and admittedly while you can, while there are lots of fine uh, TOS episodes some of them can be a bit of a slog <laughs> uh, yeah a few especially some in that third season she did say that she was familiar with TOS she had seen some and she had seen yeah. all the TOS films oh, okay. so she she knew about the. She knew who the original trio were, and you know all that. So well, and the TOS, the TOS films do a are, are a great way to transition to in, to any newer track because mm-hmm. they did put a lot more spit and polish and a little more thought over what some of the '60s series just couldn't accomplish. Yeah, absolutely. Over on Twitter, uh, Jay from the uh, Rating Room, who just there, they just finished their whole season of uh, reviewing the James Bond films. Oh, nice! Um, and they're starting a new season. I haven't heard that they have not announced what they're doing with their new season of the show yet, but I'm looking forward to seeing what they do. They did some really deep dives into the the James Bond films, and it was a lot of fun. Cool. But anyway, uh, Jay says I enjoyed the Star Trek reboot. I actually watched this again a few weeks ago. Captivating story, breathtaking visuals, and a stellar cast that brought the beloved characters to life. I need to rewatch Star Trek Into Darkness again. You're on your own on that one, Jay, for sure. Um, as much as I don't like Star Trek, I like Into Darkness even less. <laughs> that one's really not good for me. Yeah. I, I can watch that and enjoy some of it, but then that's the one uh, also where it just starts not being Star Trek, uh, all of the cons stuff but it, aside. But it pretends that it is. Right, but one also, it, it already destroys like some of the technical stuff. All of a sudden, there's a new 
engine. It's uh, like I know they fired the the one yeah, out, yeah. but but now he's in like an actual core of a kind, and I'm like, right. well, where Which the hell was that? Looks like the core of a hydrogen collider. Or something yeah, like that. but but you get that, but and yes, you get uh, their interpretation of Khan before Khan should have ever shown up. Um, but the thing with that one that still drives me nuts is the notion that we ran out. So, some admiral got tricked and ran out and built an entire warship in secret. And mm-hmm. I'm like, is this the kind of stuff we, we want to say that our hopeful future still does this crap? Well, they kept doing that next gen, so you can't really blame them. For no, doing, I know. know. I get where it comes from, but I those are the ones that start to make me itch because I'm like, mm-hmm. that's part of the why I love Trek is that hope that we are better than our baser selves now. Right. And when we slip into those, it, it, it starts to taint it a little bit yeah. for me. Uh, moving over to Spoutable, uh, Dave Plus Coffee says the time jump was genius because mm-hmm. you get to use the best familiar parts while sidestepping canon entirely. Brilliant. I like that it brought more of a sense of action to the franchise, but I know that was unpopular with some fans. Into Darkness was bad for lots of reasons, and that should have been obvious. <laughs> it says, one moment I absolutely love in the 09 reboot, when McCoy is helping Kirk sneak onto the Enterprise, they avoid Spock, and Bones says something like, it's that pointy-eared bastard. Then Spock enters the turbo lift, and on the way to the bridge, has a head tilt, head tilt moment. He heard Bones. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't take it as he heard it. I, I did notice that. I wasn't sure if he had heard him or if it was just one of those things like, did I see what I thought? No. You know, maybe. Uh, uh, either way, it's that whole notion that Spock is aware of more than most people yep. get. No, absolutely. Uh, last comment here, also from Spoutable. Jack McGraw says, I thought it was well done, and the introduction of each of the characters and their backstory was great. All right. So there are a lot of fans of the of the film and like I said, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say that you're wrong cuz you're not wrong. No. You're you're not wrong for for liking or not liking any of the incarnations <laughs> of Trek. No. I mean that is um I I'm not going to sit here and try to be like some sort of gatekeeper, you know, because no. this doesn't fit my vision of what Star Trek should be. Uh it's it's okay. It's just I don't have to like it. <laughs> no, no, you don't, and and you are clear on that topic. Yes. <laughs> now I can get into some of the uh, professionals, uh, and they're not going to go your way either, because most of the professionals seem to actually like this. Uh, we actually get into Variety, Todd MacArthur, uh, blasting onto the screen at warp speed and remaining there for two hours, the new and improved Star Trek will transport fans to sci-fi nirvana. That really, really like this. And then we get Ty Burr from uh, the Boston Globe. In the pop high, it delivers. This is the greatest prequel ever made. So really like that one rather quite a bit. Mm-hmm. I mean, you get Bob Mandello from NPR. It's hard to imagine anyone caring much why we're plunging ahead at warp speed. When the ride is so insanely satisfying. So, wow, all right. Yeah, so you get into that. Um, if you want to get into some of the heavier stuff, you get into like J.R. Jones from Reader, uh, comes back with a relatively mindless thrill ride that would 
have made the old NBC execs grin from ear to ear. <laughs> so, so, yeah, and that goes all back to the conversations about it. We're still, it is still an amazement that Star Trek ever became a thing. Trying to introduce an intellectual property into the mix of Westerns at the time, it was a near impossibility. So the fact that we have this to even have the conversation is amazing. Yes. But yeah, so I can picture the old execs salivating at Kirk going around shooting everything. (laughs) And then there's our friend Roger Ebert. Yes. Very curious what Mr. Ebert has to say. Um, He is the more even-handed. He fits somewhere in the middle here because he goes... The movie deals with narrative housekeeping. Perhaps the next one will engage these characters in a more challenging and devious story. One more about testing their personalities than reestablishing them. In the meantime, you want a space opera? You got it. (laughs) So he's taken the middle ground here. Uh, In fact, I would dare say this is... If you took Star Trek and Star Wars and birthed a baby, mm-hmm. it, 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 it kind of takes on more of those elements where we're just going to throw out any sort of logic or intellect. We're just going to say, this is how it is. Let's go shoot them up for a couple of hours and we'll come out victorious with a huge explosion at the end. Right. So that's Star Wars. So you got Star Trek's version of it. Yeah, no, absolutely. And um, Abrams even said that he was not a big fan of Star Trek. He was more of a Star Wars fan. Sure. He knew of Star Trek. He'd watched some, but right. he wasn't a big fan. I don't think Ortsy and Kurtzman uh, were were big fans either. No. Um, so I think they were probably more in the, the Star Wars vein as well. Mm-hmm. So it's not surprising that that's more of what we got. And it's probably why I... My my Star Trek properties lean toward those, especially the newer stuff. When the newer stuff is made by people who were fans of the prior stuff, you get versions of Star Trek that I like more. Mm-hmm. And and whether no matter how you feel about um, things like uh, Lower Decks, it is made by people who love Star Trek. So it is a different take on it. But it is lovingly crafted and given lots of fan service by those that love it. Strange New Worlds is being made very much the same way by people that know the content and want to do a good job. That's probably why we both kind of cringe a little bit at our 2009 entry here is it feels like somebody made a Star Trek movie who has never seen a Star Trek movie. Yeah. And that's the shame of it. But it did fill in a gap and it ensured that we would continue to have Star Trek. Exactly. There would probably not be Strange New Worlds if there wasn't 2009 Star Trek. No, absolutely not. You couldn't get there. And, and the fact that you, the notion of trying to go to a prequel version, I don't I don't think it would have ever come about for any of the other properties if we hadn't had this one. Right, yeah. And you you said it earlier, uh, talk, with, you were talking about the review, we are talking about NBC executives and everything. When you think that a three-season television show made as cheaply as they could do off. it, yeah. as they could pull off and make it at all, at all 
close to being, you know, acceptable. Mm-hmm. A plywood spaceship, mm-hmm. you know, with uh, <laughs> with cardboard with, and styrofoam sets, it's styrofoam rocks, some of the everywhere. cheesiest costuming that you could yeah. conceive of. <laughs> it's it, it's it's a monster. It's an it's a white ape with a horn. Sure, why not? <laughs> when you think that that series is now 60 years on uh-huh. and we are still getting new content uh-huh. you Roddenberry certainly had his issues absolutely he did yeah he was a little bit of a visionary he but was. he could have never predicted no. that, <laughs> that either, no. his creation would still be thriving no uh, he, 60 years later yeah the notion that he was in there long enough to see the uh, advent of uh Next gen uh, was thrilling enough, but it was also the part where you get a little saddened that the creator is probably the reason it was never as good as it could have been. Is <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and, and everybody, uh, I could get political, but let's all recognize that those of us that are heroes throughout history are not perfect people. No. no. So just because you had some good ideas doesn't mean you weren't flawed. So take that to heart with just about everything that we get in our world. (laughs) But this is how I have taken almost every incarnation of Star Trek, you know, since 2009, Mm -hmm. you know, is that there is going to be uh, shows that I don't care for. There's going to be films that I don't like. Yep. But that's going to keep – none of it is going to kill Star Trek. No. I just have to sit and wait for the next one. Yeah. yeah and, and maybe I'm going to enjoy that one. And I'm very happy that so far Strange New Worlds has kind of filled that void mm-hmm. that I kind of felt was in my little Trek life. <laughs> I, had, I had to keep going back to those Blu-rays of the, the original series or whatever yeah. to fulfill any kind of Star Trek love. Yeah. And watch the films, the, the original TOS films, and catch the TNG episodes and mm-hmm. stuff like that. And uh, to finally get new stuff now after all this time, like it, it's all because I stayed a Star Trek fan. Uh-huh. Watching 2009 Star Trek, I didn't go. Well, I'm never watching Star Trek again. No, no, you just go. This one's not my cup of it's, tea. This is this one's not made for me. <laughs> no, no, this was made for a different audience. But we can appreciate it for what it was. Yeah, and, and now and now both those audiences, the audience that didn't like 2009 Star Trek, the audience that did do that like 2009 Star Trek. We're all washing strange new worlds together. Yes. <laughs> and, and that, if, if nothing else, that personifies Star Trek. Yes. No, absolutely. And, and you're absolutely right. We wouldn't have our strange new worlds today if we didn't have 2009 Star Trek. It just wouldn't happen. Right. So, no. Well, thank you for existing. <laughs> yeah. You might not have been the Star Trek we all wanted, but it was the one we needed at the time. <laughs> well, that's going to do it for this one. Uh, in two weeks, we're going to have a, a film that I remember, I mean, it was a big hit. Mm-hmm. But then soon thereafter, there was a lot of controversy about whether it was a good film or not. Right. I remember really enjoying it. We're going to look at 2009's Watchmen. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that one. I I, I get a lot of the controversy was around. It didn't always align with the uh, the the comics. I, I think that might be what it is. Is everyone went and saw the film and thought, "Wow, this is awesome!" 
And then they went and read the graphic novels, and they went, wow, that sucked. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but uh, it's one of those, I go back and read and watch, and it's as close as you were ever going to get. No, absolutely. I've, I I did the same thing. I went and read the graphic novels after the fact. And yeah. we're probably getting too far into next, we are, next episode. We'll, we'll discuss next time. But uh, yeah, the, yeah, this one will be a fun watch. This will actually be a really fun watch because I have not watched this thing in forever. I... Now, to be clear for our audience, are we watching the theatrical release or the extended cut? Geez, that's a good question. We pres- we should probably uh, decide that. We should. We will. We will do that off mic. We'll figure out what we're going to watch, <laughs> and we will. I'll. I'll make sure to let everybody know. Uh, you know, before we before we actually sit down to record. So, Tom, awesome having you here in the studio. Thank yeah, you no. for coming up and uh, and joining me here. No, I'm glad this worked out. This is always fun when we can actually see each other while we talk. Yeah. No, it it definitely changes the whole dynamic. Uh, even though we see each other. Over the computers, it's just not the same thing. Yeah, Skype's not the same. <laughs> no. So we'll, we'll be back to like the normal recording uh, method <laughs> in two weeks. Thanks, everybody, for listening, please. And you have any further comments about uh, 09 Star Trek, anything we said here in this episode, please uh, drop us an email, timeshifterspodcast at gmail.com, and definitely send us any thoughts that you have on Watchmen. We really appreciate hearing from you. It's going to do it. Thanks for listening, everybody. Talk to you later. Bye. See ya.